Well, Matthew chapter 15 now, and um, as usual, I'll give you a quick recap of Matthew chapter 14. Uh, we went through the whole chapter in, in one sort of evening, and we looked at the story of Herod beheading John the Baptist after what was quite a bizarre chain of events. Um, then we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 men, 5,000 men beside women and children, and the many things that we can learn from that story with Jesus giving to the disciples to feed the people. Look, there are many, many messages you could get from that, I'm sure many that you could hear, which would be good messages. But we also saw how I believe it's a picture of the first New Testament church in Acts chapter 4. Um, and I didn't, I, I didn't expect to get much further than that, so maybe we did rush through the last part of the chapter a little bit. I was kind of unsure if we'd keep going, and I spent a while on, on, that, on that first part. So the... the the, the next part was the story of Jesus walking on water and Peter coming out to join him. And there were the obvious pictures there of salvation and also of calling on the Lord in times of trouble. But I did miss the other possible picture there, uh, which I was reminded of afterwards, which is the post-trib pre-wrath rapture, which I think was originally probably preached by Pastor Anders. I think he first mentioned it to someone else, but it's something that he'd seen there. Um, and with that, it's, it's basically you've got Christ ascending to the Father in the mountain. Um, you know, that's the picture of that. He's going to pray alone to the Father, like him ascending up into heaven, then, then coming to rescue them midway in the Sea of Galilee, the 25 to 35 furlongs being approximately three and a half miles, okay? Now, um, that, that, by the way, is mentioned in John 6, it being 25 to 35 furlongs. And John's Gospels then says that they were immediately at the land afterwards. So that's kind of the picture there. And I think, you know, it's pretty, you know, probably pretty sound that isn't it but for, for some they might you know some people go oh, it's a stretch converting the furlongs to miles well you know it's definitely worth studying out if you're inclined to so if that's something that you're interested in definitely study that I think I think you could see that there um, so yeah go, go ahead if you're interested in that not straight away now as we're going to go through chapter 15 but um, we, we then finish with Matthew 14 36 which says and I besought him that they might and, and, sorry, and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. And we talked about, firstly, how that's all that's required for salvation. Literally, you, all you have to do is touch the hem of his garment. The picture there is just the simplicity, the, the, you know, how minimal it is for salvation. It's all you literally have to do is call on the name of the Lord in faith. But all we did look at whether or not that's all they did want with salvation because they did say and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and whether or not you want to read it like I said you could do uh, whether or not they were the types of people that just want salvation we do come across those types of people uh, that's up to you. you you decide that that's what I think that might be saying there but I'm not dogmatic about that uh, we're going to go into Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1 there where it says then came to Jesus scribes of Pharisees which were of Jerusalem saying why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And we're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we continue. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for this uh, great chapter of the Bible. Please help me to preach it accurately now, Lord. Help me to preach it boldly, clearly. Help everyone here to just have attentive ears and hearts to what your word's saying to them, Lord. Um, ju just help to keep the distractions to a minimum, Lord, and just help... Um, just, just help everything to be done according to your will. And just name for all of this. Amen. Right, so keep a finger there and flick over to Mark 7 because 
This isn't about grubby hands, okay? This isn't about them just being a little bit grubby maybe and they're going, what on earth? Why are your disciples turning up with all sorts all over their hands? They're just kind of getting stuck in. This is basically this OCD type behavior that is very typical of, of well, of Jews basically, of what we know as Jews right now. So Mark chapter seven, it says, then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. So they've travelled up from Jerusalem. And by the way, this is about a 70 mile journey. Okay, so whether or not they maybe managed to get some, you know, I don't know, horses or whatever it is, you know, to help them along with this. I'm not sure. Most of the time it seemed to be people were travelling on foot. That's a long journey, right? Okay, and they've travelled up there. So you would think, well, they must have had good intentions. They've travelled all the way from Jerusalem to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's not always the case, unfortunately. And it's not always the case that, you know, we might sometimes in the future, and I'm not saying we've had that so far. We've had some great people come from far and wide to visit our church, but we might have people come from a long way. We might have people come and want to get involved with our church from a long way doesn't really mean it's oh well they must be all right because they've come from Timbuktu it doesn't actually mean that a lot of people can be driven to go a long way to cause trouble right and to cause grief and here we see that we see an example of this in the bible here and when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled that is to say with unwashed hands they found fault so they're calling these hands defiled I mean they must be really filthy right well look verse 3 says for the Pharisees and all the Jews Okay, see the, the influence they've had then upon them, except they wash their hands oft, not just except they wash their hands before they eat, but except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. So, so this is multiple hand washing, yeah? Verse 4 says, and when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold as a washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Now, you might be looking at this guy, well, this is just good hygiene, brother Ian. Yeah, these guys are, you know, just thinking, yeah, better have washed hands, better wash the cups and pots and everything else as well, yeah? Um, but it's not. And this is what, and okay, forgive me, this is what Wikipedia says, but this is pretty accurate for me, okay? Jewish law and customs prescribe ritual hand washing in a number of situations. Before eating bread. Yeah, sensible before you eat bread. Halakha requires a hand to be washed before eating a meal containing bread. No, it's actually because it's containing bread. This washing was initially known as Mayim Rishonim, first waters, but it's now commonly known simply as Netalat Yadayim, which is hand washing. This only applies to bread made from one of the five chief grains, though. Wheat, cultivated barley, spelt, wild barley and oats. The washing is performed by pouring water from a cup over each hand. The Gemara of the Babylonian Talmud, wicked, contains homiletic descriptions of the importance of the practice, including an argument that washing before meals is so important that neglecting it is tantamount to unchastity and risks divine punishment in a form of sudden destruction or poverty. Anyone remember that verse in the Bible? Like, it's not there. Rabbinic law requires that travellers go as far as four biblical miles to obtain water for washing prior to eating bread, if there is a known water source there. This applies only to when the water source lies in one's direction of travel. However, had he already passed the water source, he is only obligated to backtrack to a distance of one biblical mile. The one exception to this rule is when a man or a party of men are encamped while on a journey and there is no water to be found in the vicinity of their camp, in which case the sages of Israel have exempted them from washing their hands prior to breaking bread. Sages is a good word for them, isn't it? Okay, how about after eating bread? Because it's not just before eating bread, yeah? Because they must wash their hands oft, yeah? After eating bread, mayim akaronim. 
Rabbinic sources discuss the practice to wash hands after a meal before reciting Burkat Hamazon. This practice is known as Mayimak Aranamim, after waters, that means. According to the Talmud, the washing is motivated by health concerns to remove, check this one out, the salt of Sodom, which may have been served at the meal. Because you never know when you might be eating some salt of Sodom. Okay, so, as salt originating from the Sodom area allegedly causes blindness. Should it be on one's fingers and they happen to touch their eyes? The Talmud considers Mayim Akaranim obligatory. And more, uh, and more important than washing before the meal. Many, but not all, uh, sorry, later sources agree. So this, uh, this washing after the meal is apparently because you might have the salt of Sodom on your meal, okay? Is that the end of washing? No, it's not. However, Tosafot ruled that Mayim Akaranim, this is the washing after, after bread, is not required in current circumstances since the salt of Sodom is no longer served at meals. Anyone seen salt of Sodom in the sh on the shelves in the kosher section? <laughs> I don't think they, they have it anymore, unfortunately. Uh, similarly, our Yaakov Emden ruled that it is not required, since nowadays it is customary to eat with forks and knives, and salt is unlikely to get under fingers. Based on these sources, in many communities nowadays, Mayim Akaranim is not practised. Nevertheless, many others continue to practice it. One reason to continue practicing it is the principle that if the underlying reason behind a rabbinic ruling no longer applies, the ruling is not automatically cancelled. Another reason is given the assertion that in every core of salt there is to be found a quart of, of salt of Sodom. So apparently it gets everywhere, this salt of Sodom. Okay, now you might be listening to this thinking, what on earth? Yeah, no, no, this is real. Okay, this is what these, these people believe. Although Mayim Akaranim was once not widely practiced, for example, until recently, it did not appear in many orthodox Passover Haggadahs. It has undergone something of a revival and has become more widely observed in recent years, particularly for special meals such as the Shabbat and Jewish holidays. Okay. No blessing is recited on this washing. Generally, only a small amount of water is poured over the... Now, listen to this. Over the outer two segments of the fingers. While a minority, primarily Yemenite Jews or related groups, wash the entire hand up to the wrist. The water is sometimes poured from a special ritual dispenser. One should not pause between the washing and reciting Burka Amazon. Okay? Thematic interpretations. Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook... Oh, sorry, Cook. He is a kook. K-double-O-K. -okay. Explain that our involvement in the physical act of eating is a potential to diminish our sense of holiness. To counteract this influence, we wash our hands after the meal. The Talmudic sages spoke of washing away the salt of Sodom, a place whose very name is, is a symbol of selfishness and indifference to others. Apparently, this dangerous salt, which can, because they don't believe the Bible, this dangerous salt which can blind our eyes to the needs of others is rendered harmless through the purifying ritual of Mayim Akronim. Right, so, is that it for the washing of the hands? No, before eating dipped fruit or vegetables. Some sources speak of washing hands before eating a piece of food which has been dipped in a liquid, e.g. water, honey, oil, etc., which then clings to that piece, with the one exception of fruit, seeing that they do not require hand washing. While the Shalhan Arak requires a washing of hands prior to eating fruits that are merely damp with one of the seven liquids, I mean, can you imagine trying to follow this? It's giving me a headache thinking about it. Myamonides does not believe, does not mention astringency in his Mishnah Torah. Rabbi Haim Kesar says that the enactment only applied to dipping fruits or vegetables in a liquid, but not when wetness merely clung to those fruits or vegetables. Nowadays, this washing is not widely practiced, with one notable exception. During a Passover seed, the hands are washed without reciting a blessing before eating carpets, the washing referred to as urkats. 
All right, so there's also before worship, before priestly blessing, but I thought this one would be interesting for you. After sleeping. And according to the Shulkan Arak, a person who slept is required to wash upon arising and says the Netalat Yadayim blessing. This ritual is known by the Yiddish term Nigalvasa, which means nail water, and sometimes in Hebrew as Netalat Yadayim Shakarit. This Yiddish term is also used for special cup used for such washing. The water is poured out from a vessel three times intermittently over each hand. One. Reasons given for this washing vary to remove an evil spirit from one's fingers or in preparation for the, I mean it's witchcraft isn't it? Or in preparation for the morning prayer or to make one's ha make the hands physically clean before reciting blessings and studying Torah. This is performed when awake from a full night's sleep or even after a lengthy nap. The Talmud, well lengthy is lengthy anyway. The Talmud states God commanded Jews to wash the hands and provides the text of the Netalat Yadayim blessing still in use. Right, okay, last bit, sorry guys, a bit long, but I found this interesting, I don't know if you are, right. Other occasions, after touching part of the body which is dirty or customarily covered, such as the private parts, back, armpits, inside of nose or ear, the scalp, but not if one just touched the hair, or the sweat from one's body, excluding the face, or one's shoes. Touch any of that, wash your hands. Upon leaving a latrine, lavatory or bathhouse, as a symbol of both bodily cleanliness and of removing human impurity, hand washing after excretion is sometimes referred to as washing up Asha Yatsar, referring to the Asha Yatsar blessing recited once the hands have been washed after excretion. Upon leaving a cemetery, after cutting one's hair or nails, don't forget when you cut your nails to wash your hands, or when someone's cut your hair. The Shulchan Arak specifies that one must wash hands after physical relations, but among many Orthodox Jews, this is not accepted practice. After a bloodletting, while bloodletting is no longer performed, some wash their hands after donating blood. To remove tumut met, this is impurity from death, after participating in a funeral procession, or check out, check out this one, or coming within four cubits of a corpse. So that's basically about six foot of a corpse, you better wash your hands. Some have the custom of washing their hands prior to scribal work, the general custom in the morning based on a Kabbalistic teaching is to take up the vessel in one's right hand, pass the vessel into his left hand and only then begin to pour out water from that vessel over his right hand. Then one reverses the order by taking up the vessel in his right hand and pouring out water for that vessel over his left hand. This process is repeated altogether three times for each hand, with intermittent change of hands after each pouring. When this is accomplished, he then takes a vessel and pours out water over both hands simultaneously, after which he rubs his hands together and then lifts them to make the blessing over his hands before he wipes them dry. In the hand washing made for eating bread, the custom differs. One takes a vessel in his right hand and pours water in abundance over his left hand. He then takes a vessel in his left hand, pours water in abundance over his right hand, in this case for eating bread. It is not necessary to wash the hands three times intermittently, as is customarily done in the morning. Rather, one or two pours for each hand is sufficient. What on earth was all that? <laughs> and that is an insight into the, into the mind of a Talmudic Jew. It basically, what we call Jews today, which are not, but the synagogue of Satan, I mean, that is, is mental illness, isn't it? That is nuts. And, and you're saying, well, Brother Ian, did you really need to read out all of that? Well, you do need to read out all of that because... Well, verse 5, let's just look down at verse 5 where you are in, in, in Mark there, where it says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why, why walk not thy disciples according to, to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? I mean, that's a given over mind, isn't it? Why wouldn't you do all this crazy stuff? It's kind of like, why aren't they, why aren't they, one, and then two, and then round the back, and sh you know, and under the leg. <laughs> 
why, why are they not doing that? I mean, what's wrong with it? But, but this is the reason I read all that out, because these are the people that Christians around the world want to actually learn from. They're going, teach us the Old Testament. Come into our church, we'll put on some of those silly little skull caps as well, and teach us. Oh, holy Jew, child of God. No, they're not. They're nuts. It's not biblical. None of what they do is biblical. They're nuts. They, they, in fact, they're worse. They're worse. They worship Satan. That's why they're nuts. I mean, it's, it's, it's a given over mind, isn't it? Can you imagine all of that? And none of it's from the Word of God. How do they even come up with that? I'll tell you how they come up with that. By, by having a given over reprobate mind that starts to think that, that their version of God wants them to like, do all this crazy like one hand, three times on that one and everything else because I've just gone to bed. I just... Crazy, isn't it? But, yeah, synagogue of Satan. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Crazy people. Right, let's go back to, back to Matthew 15. <coughs> right, and verse 3 says, <coughs> But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? It's tradition, and it's a crazy tradition with that. For God commanded, saying, Honour thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honour not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So, what's this about then? Well, turn to Exodus 21, whilst I read the famous fifth commandment from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. God commanded, 20, Exodus 20 verse 12, Honour thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And in Exodus 21, we're seeing the death penalty prescribed for certain sins like murder. In verse 12, it says, He that smiteth a man so that he die. This is Exodus chapter 20 and verse, uh, sorry, Exodus 21, sorry, in verse 12. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, and I'll appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. So this is manslaughter. Verse 14. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbour to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar, that he may die. This is premeditated murder. Holding on to the altar is not going to save him. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. So this is, I believe, there. It's not saying so they die. This is striking your mother or father. Okay, that, that's what I, because smite can be smiting to kill someone, it can be smiting, striking. Strike your mother or your father is a death penalty for me. Okay, that's, and, and oh, you go, wait a second, that would be like half the kids probably around the, around the world, wouldn't it? Well, maybe not if the death penalty was in place for that. Maybe you might have kids actually respecting their parents if they knew that they were going to be put to death. But, but God hasn't changed his opinion on that. So, you know, kids out there who are listening to this and, and look, God still considers that a death penalty crime yeah and and you you if you, if that's the sort of thing you're inclined to do well you know you're lucky that we're not living under a godly government right now but i tell you what it's serious right it's a serious thing because look the whole fabric of society really is based upon you respecting your parents really yeah how are you going to learn look at all the wayward kids are doing nuts crazy things they don't have respect for their parents verse 16 says and he that stealeth a man and selleth him or if he be found in his hand he shall surely be put to death okay so that's kidnap then verse 17 and he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death so this isn't swearing, okay? Because people, oh, you know, they think curse, cuss, or whatever else. This is basically talking about wishing or calling for evil upon them, 
okay this is what that is so it's not swearing at them it's not calling them a rude word it's 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 basically wishing for calling upon even putting some sort of curse on them you know i hope you die or something horrible like that okay that's cursing father or mother again that is a death penalty sin okay why did jesus use it interchangeably in matthew chapter 15 and verse 4 so go back to matthew chapter 15 and verse 4 where it says, For God commanded, saying, Honour thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. Because honouring your father and mother, as well as the obvious respecting part, includes performing the duties to them, such as taking care of them in their later years, whether that's physically or financially, providing for your father or your mother. And often when people don't do that, well... Often it's because they're cursing them for one reason or another. Because they're basically saying, in, in one way or another, well, to hell with you, basically. Yeah, I hope you, I hope you die. I hope you, you, know, you live a horrible, have many years to your life. Now, obviously, you know, they would have to do that themselves for it to be an actual curse. But it seems like there's that mentality there, isn't there? Because, look, this, I mean, this nation is quite, I think, famous for it. For, uh, I mean, many people who come from other nations and other, other cultures come here and go... It's pretty messed up here how little care and little sort of respect and love and following that honouring your father or mother there is in this nation. Where, where we've gone so far the other way. I mean, in, in many cultures in the world, there'd be like three, four generations living in one house. You rarely see that nowadays in this nation, do you? And look, they're getting packed off to the old people's home, you know, before they're old people, it seems a lot of the time. It's just, you know, get them out of there, get them off. Well... Part of that honouring is financially honouring as well. And he said here, verse 5, But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honour not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So basically, the, the, it is a gift. It, it's in, in, I think, Mark's Gospel, he, there's a term where it's, it is Corban, they say, okay? And basically what this is, is they've changed it where they can label their possessions. This is as some sort of gift consecrated to God. So they're saying, well, I should provide for you. However, this is actually promised to God. It's going to go in the offering or part of this is going to go in the offering. So I'm unable to now financially provide for you, you know, so be it. Good luck, Mum. Good luck, Dad. You know, I hope things work out for you. You know, don't, I don't think there was much of a pension scheme there and other things like that. The whole way it was meant to work, well, you looked after your kids when they're young, they look after you when you're old, okay? That's how it works. That's how it should work. And unfortunately, these people here had just decided, no, we've got a new, forget the word of God, we've got a new, tra we've got a new tradition. Mark 7, 12, you don't have to turn there, says, and ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. So this is what they're doing. They're basically saying, no, it's a gift. It, it's, it's promised for the temple. And then they, those people are okay not to do anything for their father or their mother. He said in verse 7, ye hypocrites, well did I, Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And that was from Isaiah 29, by the way. You don't have to go there. They look holy, don't they? Sound holy, but their heart is nowhere near. And that, that, that teaching for doctrines and commandments of men is basically the Babylonian Talmud. 
Okay, that's the Talmud down to a T. Teaching for doctrines, they act as if these are doctrines, like they're some sort of holy men of God, the oral, you know, whatever they call it, the oral commandments and everything else. It's just teach for doctrines of commandments of men. It's just making it up as they go along. This is one of many examples of it that Jesus is giving here. But although, look, we could go into one on, on the Jews and, or the false Jews, what they are really, but so much of this stuff is also in so-called Christianity, isn't it? Teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. I just thought of a couple, baby sprinkling. Now, baby sprinkling, that's the, where's that in the Bible? Yet how many so-called Christian denominations sprinkle babies when they're young with water? And some will dunk them under the water. Some will sprinkle a bit of water over them. Usually it's some weirdo in a dress doing it as well again. Where's that in the Bible? Wear a dress. Wear a dress and sprinkle water over babies. It's, it's absolutely bizarre, isn't it? But, but for them, it's like, well, you don't, you don't christen. They call it christen a lot of the time here. You don't christen your child. Well, are you going to have a christening? No. So then what happens? Then you get a load of Baptists that go, oh, man, I really want that christening. I really like, especially some of those gifts look pretty good. We have a real day of it as well. And I'll tell you, what, it looked great on Facebook. We'll have a baby dedication. Hey, yeah. So then you've got new tradition in Baptist church. Yeah, it's baby dedication day. And you're like, yeah, dedicating my baby to the Lord. So what if it is that? Yeah, no, no, I'm dedicating my baby to serve the Lord. Yeah, it's like, look, if you're a Christian, you're not trying to dedicate your children and train them up to serve the Lord. There's nothing wrong with you anyway. I'm dedicating my... I don't know, anyone seen this in a Baptist church before? No, no one's seen it? Yeah, maybe one, two. Okay, I've been at church, I've done it. I've been when the pastor's there with their, yeah, uh, we've got a new baby, being dedicated, baby dedication day. And then, what even is that? What does that even mean? And, and, and that's, that's quite widespread now, because it's basically the Baptist christening. They just, oh, well, they don't put water on them, so it's all right. What else? The vain repetition prayer. How about that one? The Lord's Prayer. I was in an evangelical church many, many years ago, and they had some, and they didn't do this in this church until some guest preacher came and he said, you know what? Yeah, he said, it's not enough Lord's Prayer being said in churches right now. Come on, let's all recite the Lord's Prayer. And I, I, mean, I was like, what? Yeah, because I was quite adamant that that's not right, you know. And, and suddenly they had like the whole church, and it was quite a big church, so 100 plus people all just reciting the Lord's Prayer. With it, you know, and, and as soon as we got into like, you know, forgive us our sins or debts, or, and then debtors, and it all, everyone's just mumbling something different based on what wicked version of the Bible they're following. And it all just went completely wrong. And, and, but again, how many churches do that? And they think that that's some sort of, you know, doctrine that, um, that, that oh, Jesus, Jesus said you've got to repeat this. No, he didn't. Yeah, but he actually gave it as an example. But there were some that I could think of. But, you know, with that as well, you know, really, it, it, it's kind of, it's a heart thing, isn't it, here? So these guys are trying to look holy. They're trying to look the part. But really, they're just doing their own thing. They're making it up as they go along. And, and there are many that, that will, sadly, in the future, will, will attend churches like ours and around, you know, already do around the world. And, and they'll say the right things, maybe even do the right things, but their heart is far. And that's really the problem here. These people, you know, they're trying to look holy and they're starting to slip in their own stuff because really it's all for show, isn't it? It's all for show. Verse 10 says, And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. So Jesus explains this in a minute. Verse 12 says, Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? 
So the disciples are saying, you've just offended the religious leaders. Yeah? You're upsetting these religious folk. People kind of get like that sometimes. Oh, you're upsetting the religious people. You're going to offend someone. Did Jesus apologise? No, he didn't. But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted up. I mean, he's like, yeah, all right, look, these lot, they're getting rooted up because they're not saved, are they? They're not saved. They haven't been planted by the Lord. They're not God's children. Did he say, well, I must find a way of reaching them? Is that what Jesus Christ said? Did he go, yeah, no, yeah, I've got to find a way. Where's the right way of reaching these people? You know, everyone, every single person, when they've got a breath in their body, can be saved. Did he say that? Again, that's, that's teaching for doctrines and commandments of men, isn't it? Or at least the beliefs of men. No, he said, let them alone. Let them alone. They'd be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. He was like, oh, the Pharisees, if only I could reach them. I've got to find a way. Maybe we need to kind of make our, make our kind of preaching services just a little bit more all-inclusive. Find a way of encouraging them in. Maybe get their kids in. Maybe we could like have a rock concert or something. And then maybe that, they'll reach the Pharisees. No, he just said, leave them alone. Let them be the blind leads of the blind. Yeah? If the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Basically, because they're false prophets. Okay, they're blind leaders of the blind. They're false prophets. Okay, there is no salvation for them. They're done. Leave them alone. They're done. And there's something we've got to remember sometimes when we're soul winning as well, don't we? Because sometimes it, it can be tempting, can't it? You come across these false prophets. You kind of, they, tell them, they tell you they're a pastor. They tell you they're whatever. Sometimes it's like they call, I'm bishop something. <laughs> you know, so, anyone ever got a bishop something? I don't know, I've had a couple of bishops before over the years. Yeah, my name's Bishop something. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they tell you they're some sort of, you know, bishop, pastor, whatever else. And it can be tempting, can't it? You're thinking, okay. And, and look, you know, for sure, look, sometimes they might be blagging it. Maybe there's still a chance. But usually you know pretty early on, don't you? Is it worth carrying on? And sometimes we want to carry on, don't we? And sometimes it might be just because we really like fancy the idea of showing this guy that he's unsaved and he's a reprobate but I think here he just said let them alone sometimes you just gotta let them alone just leave them to it you know let them let them lead the blind and it is sad for the blind le le uh, being led isn't it so it said maybe blind leaders of the blind but many of these don't want to see I mean that's a funny thing to hear but it's true isn't it how many people look how many people do and and here's a general rule for it really when people are very into a false religion it's very hard if not sometimes it, well, a lot of the time it is impossible to get them out isn't it because it's one thing to go oh well if only that you know you name it whatever false religion if only I could just get through to them no they've made their choice a lot of the time they've made their choice they don't want to come out of it they, they, they believe what they want to believe. And they're being led. And he said, he said, they be blind leaders of blind. If the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. He didn't go, oh, just somehow get to those blind. They're being led. Look, the gospel's there. And people choose. They choose, the, they choose these blind leaders, don't they? <coughs> then answered Peter and said unto him, declare unto us this parable. So this is talking about verse 11, which said, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth this defileth a man. And Jesus said, Are ye yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught. So your hands being unwashed are the least of your worries, okay? And, and that's a, look, 
it's a pretty good defence system. What goes into your mouth and goes into your belly for a lot of uncleanness, isn't it? And just quickly, because we talked about this the other week on the biblical parenting, do vaccines go through your, your natural defence system? No, they just get, go straight into your bloodstream. It's absolutely nuts, isn't it? Okay, but that which goeth into the mouth, entereth into the mouth, goeth into the belly, and it's cast out into the draught, okay? Look, obviously you can get ill. I'm not saying you're not going to get ill, but what I am saying is you don't want to start kind of bypassing that altogether, right? Okay, and it's a good, good, good defence system of the body there. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. So it's what comes out that defiles you. Jeremiah 17, 9, Turner says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He said in verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. This isn't a, an all-inclusive list. Mark's gospel gives more. You know, we don't have to go there. It all, all this wickedness, it all comes out of the heart. So how do we tame the heart then? Because it looks like we're kind of, that's a bit of a losing battle, isn't it? What do we do? Well, you've got to somehow control that deceitful and desperately wicked part of you, okay? Because it is, we, we all have a heart. Look, it doesn't matter how holy you think you are. Look, out of the heart proceed all these things. <clears throat> the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Turn to Psalm 119. <clears throat> How do you tame it? You've got to fill it with the Word of God. That's how you do it. You've got to fill that heart with the Word of God and basically squeeze out all those wicked, evil thoughts, all those defiling things, all that deceit, all that wickedness. <clears throat> Psalm 119 and verse 11. Psalm 119 and verse 11 says... This is a psalmist talking. He says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The answer is God's word, isn't it? Immerse in it, memorise it, pray for help in following it as well. In verse 36 there, Psalm 119, verse 36, he says, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. So, you know, you could pray for that as well. You could pray for the word of God to just, <clears throat> to, to want the word of God and not the other stuff. It, it's kind of, it's almost like a one or the other, isn't it? Replace the wickedness with the word of God. Get your motivation straight. Look at verse 112 there, 112, Psalm 119, 112 says, I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. So the psalmist wants to perform his statutes always, He's made that wicked heart to desire that. He said, I've inclined mine heart to, do, to perform thy statutes always. How did he do that? Well, it comes to knowing the statutes first, isn't it? You've got to know the statutes. You've got to read the statutes. You've got to pray for help to desire the statutes. He's doing all that. Yeah, he's hiding in his heart that he might not sin against him. He's, in, he, he's asking for his heart to be inclined unto God's testimonies and not to covetousness. He then says, I've inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even until the end. Now, he might not do it always, but he's inclined his heart. He's, he wants that. That's his motivation. That should be our goal. Look, God, I want to. I want to follow your testimonies. I want to follow your statutes. I want to do it until the end. Not until, well, that bit's a bit too tempting. Kind of until, kind of, until next weekend when I've got like something planned which might be a little bit outside of the will of God. No, it's always, always. Until the end. Well, until I'm probably retired, then I could probably kick back a bit. Well, no, until the end. Until the end.
That's how we should. That's what we should be designed. That's what we should be praying for. That's what we should be begging for, asking for, praying for, and reading the Word of God and filling your mind, filling your heart with the Word of God. That's how we tame it. Go back to Matthew chapter fifteen and verse twenty. He gave that short list: there, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things, verse twenty, which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. So, according to Mark 7, she was a Greek born in the Phoenician part of Syria. The, the Phoenicians were Canaanites. Yeah, maybe she was a Canaanite, maybe she was born there and she wasn't. The Greeks could also just be another term for Gentile. But... She does know who he is, doesn't she? She said, O oh Lord, thou son of David. Okay, she called him the son of David. Yeah, he's a prophesied one, isn't he? And, and she knows that. She recognises that. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, we, we've already talked about, you know, when Jesus sent out the disciples in Matthew 10, the Gentiles weren't a fallback plan because there are some, there's some really bad preaching out there and teaching where they try and they oh, oh, the Gentiles were plan B or some other nonsense like that. Clearly not the case. We have already covered this. If you're unsure, go back to when, when we cover Matthew chapter 10. Jesus Christ's ministry was to confirm the promises. That was the point, as in Romans 15, 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Okay, but he was always going to be that light to the Gentiles. Okay, it wasn't, oh, and then he had to just, oh, well, they just kind of, they messed up, so then he went to the Gentiles. No, it was always going to be that way. He was confirming the promises, going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first, then the gospel was going to go out en masse to the Gentiles. Luke 2.32 talks about him being a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. But, like I said, this was to happen on mass after his death. His disciples are going to go into all the world to do what? To preach the gospel unto every creature, like he told them to, yeah? But this woman here didn't seem to get the memo. And look, she's not the only one. I mean, we, we saw, I think, the centurion coming and beseeching him to heal his servant, and, 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 and I'm sure others. It says in verse 25, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. So he said, look, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what does she do? She gets rejection, she worships him. And look, that's something we can all do, can't we? Because sometimes you pray to God, sometimes you ask, something, you ask something of God, you seem to not be getting the answer, and many people then turn their back. That's a lot of the time when people stop going to church. A lot of the time when they stop reading their Bible, when they stop praying, when they stop doing the things of God. But that's the time to worship him, isn't it? That's the time to get on your knees and just go, look, I'm, 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 look you're the boss, yeah? You know what's best. You know how to do things. And she came and worshipped him and asked him again, saying, Lord, help me. And nothing wrong with asking more than once, is there? Yeah? No. You know, there may, we see stories in the Bible where we're being told to ask more than once and being given the example of, you know, for, for the much importunity of the friend asking, you know, for, for the food for their visitor from afar. Then eventually they answer and it was given an example saying, look, when you're, when you're praying to God and you're praying to God and you're praying to God, sometimes he's just going to, he's going to give you, you know, and obviously within his will, he's going to answer you just for the fact that you're coming to him and praying time and time again, yeah? 
Now she says again, she worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now, you could say that was a bit rude there, wasn't it? <laughs> okay. Dogs weren't looked at in Israel the same as we maybe look at dogs in our nation now. Okay, so here, you know, for some, they're kind of, there's kind of people here and dogs up here. Obviously, that's completely incorrect, but there are many like that, right? In Israel, it's a bit different, okay? And in most cultures throughout history, it hasn't been that case, yeah? Dogs are kind of down here. And he's basically called him a dog, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, a little bit rude. But, uh, yeah, you know, he's got a good reason. Because remember, like, Jesus Christ, he's not, you know, he, he's, he's making a point here, okay? He's making, he's making a point to not just the people there, to her, to the reader for, you know, a couple of thousand years so far after that as well. He said, he's not meat to take children's bread to cast it to dogs. Okay, so remember that when you go, oh, the children, what, is this all these, like, all those wicked Jews that we've just been talking about are doing all this weird washing stuff, you know, behind the back and spinning around 10 times and headbutting walls and everything else? They do do that. <laughs> um, no, this is, this is, you know, the remnant, the remnant that are God's children, you know, obviously Israel at this point was still his people up until we, we then, you know, that it's taken from them and given to a nation, you know, who are going to bear fruit. But the, the, the rest, basically, everyone else were as good as dogs at this point. So without the word of God, without the gospel and everything else, they were as good as dogs. And she said to this, so he's just basically said, look, it's not meat to take children's bread to cast it to dogs. What's she going to say? She said, truth, Lord. That's a good attitude, isn't it? Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter is made whole from that very hour. So what was it that did it for her? Her humble attitude, wasn't it? She's basically just been called a dog. And she's just saying, truth, Lord. Yeah, you know, the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master. She wasn't like, how dare you? How dare you talk to me like that? How dare you talk to me, me? You know, there are people like that, aren't there? You know, what? Oh, I don't like the Bible because of how judgmental it is, basically against my sin. I don't like the way God talks about my sin, me, the great me, the great I am. And, but she's like, truth, Lord truth Lord but I'd happily just have the scraps that fall from fall on that from that table the crumbs which fall from their master's table and and he said great is thy faith and, and there's probably a good truth there isn't there do you think there can be great faith without humility I don't think there can can there really be a great faith without humility I don't think so you need humility to have great faith you, you have to be willing to rely on God and the, prou the proud can't do that, can they? They can't really rely on God. There can be fake faith, but great faith goes hand in hand with humility, doesn't it? You have to be humble enough to, to just rely on God to have that great faith to just say, look, that, thy will be done, you know, and, and I'm relying on you and I'm, I'm, I, I need you, Lord, you know, and he said, great is thy faith. That's what did it for, I think, the humility. So... Let's have a look at the next bit. I've got a bit of time. Okay, so verse 29 says, Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. 
insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And, so, and his disciples said unto him, When shall we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and brake them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And they did eat, and they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. And he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. So we've got another miracle of feeding the multitude, very similar to the previous chapter, don't we? What did we learn from chapter 14's feeding of the 5,000? Well, turn back there. There are many lessons, of course, like I said, okay? You can get many lessons from that, from that passage, from that amazing miracle, but we look specifically at the picture of the first New Testament church. So chapter 14 and verse 13 says, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place. That's a deserted place apart and when the people had heard thereof they followed him on foot out of the cities and Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude who was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick so the healing picturing salvation the multitudes now picture the saved and when it was evening his disciples came to him saying this is a desert place and the time is now past, send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. So the evening picturing Christ having ascended, the light is gone, it's a deserted place without the word of God. The victuals, provisions, food, picturing the spiritual food of the word. The disciples are saying, let them go and fend for themselves. Verse 16 says, but Jesus said unto them, they need not depart, give ye them to eat. Jesus says, no, it's your job to feed them. Verse 17, they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. So they're saying, but we're not able. What can we feed them with, basically? We don't have enough to feed these people. He said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, took the five loaves, the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So Jesus gives to the disciples, they give to the church. It's a picture of the church. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full, representing the 12 disciples. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Right, turn over to Acts 4. And, and we're not just going over it again for no reason. I'll show you why in a second. So Acts 4, where Peter and John have just healed the lame guy at the gate of the temple. They, they then get arrested, okay? This is Acts 4. You turn to verse 4 of Acts 4. So Acts 4, 4 says, and we've just read in, in, in uh, Matthew 14, 21, then they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Acts 4, 4 says, Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. No, it's not a coincidence. Right, verse 13 in Acts 4 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marvelled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So only five loaves and two fishes these guys had, eh? But ignorant and unlearned men. Then the rulers, elders and scribes, they, they, they tried threatening and commanded them not to feed the people. Acts 4.20 says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Okay, that's giving what Jesus has given them, yeah? They return to the 5,000 men beside women and children and do just that. Acts 4.29 says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. 
Okay, that's what they're going to do. They're going to give what Jesus gives them. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And verse 33 says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That's the 12 apostles represented by the 12 baskets. Okay, so they're feeding them the word of God. But then they're also fulfilled they're all fulfilled, sorry, physically too. Look at verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold. They were all filled, weren't they? Okay, so what happens next? Chapter 5 begins with the story of Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Ghost about the land they sold. They both end up dying. Then verse 11 says, And great fear, this is Acts 5 and verse 11, And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the church, multitudes, both of men and women. So you've got multitudes being added to the 5,000 men number. Then verse 16 says, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. The apostles get arrested in prison, broken out by an angel, re-arrested, beaten, let go. Then verse 41 says, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer such, to suffer shame for his name. Verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And you could preach a hundred sermons off that verse, couldn't you? Okay, then look at verse uh, chapter 6. So they're going out daily in the temple and every house. They're not stopping teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. Acts 6 and verse 1 says, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So we've had multitudes added to the Lord, multitudes coming out of the cities. They're teaching, preaching daily, and here the number of the disciples was multiplied. It sounds like a lot of people, doesn't it? Okay, that's on top of the 5,000. Multitudes, multitudes, many, they're being multiplied. Okay, the disciples are being multiplied. It's not like, oh, a few more are added. Okay, multiplied. That sounds like there's loads and loads coming in. Verse 2 says, And the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word and the saying please the whole multitude and they chose Stephen a man full of faith of the Holy Ghost and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas a proselyte of Antioch whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed they laid their hands on them and the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great number of the priests were obedient to the faith how many were added to those 5,000 men maybe about 4,000 I don't know. I think maybe about 4,000 are added there. No, I might be wrong there. But that's what I think. Go back to Matthew 15 with all of that in mind and see why I believe that. Matthew 15, verse 29 says, And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them. That's a picture of soul winning, isn't it? They're casting them down at Jesus' feet and he's healing them. Okay, they're bringing them to the Lord, yeah? 
Oh, oh, they bring the Lord's in whichever which way you want to look at it. Yeah, that's what we do when we go out and preach the gospel. We cast these people at Jesus' feet. Say, heal them. Basically, put your faith in Christ, yeah? Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. These people are worshipping God, okay? So these aren't just kind of just sitting there now. They're bringing people to him. They're bringing people to the Lord. They're then worshipping God. Verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in a way. They're continuing with Jesus, he said. They've continued with me three days. Okay, The last lot were just there for the day. It just got to the evening. Okay, Those people were saved. They were the early church. These lot are serving him, aren't they? They're worshipping him. They're bringing people to him. They're, they're continuing with him. And his disciples said to him, when shall we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Look, there's too many for us to feed. There's too many for us to feed with what they need. And Jesus saith unto them, how many loaves of ye? And they said, seven and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and brake them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full so with the 5,000 there were 12 baskets full for me that clearly pictures the start of the first church with 5,000 men beside women and children I don't think that's a coincidence I think I hope I've kind of proven my case quite well with that with this 4,000 there that with this 4,000 there are seven baskets full I believe there's a picture of them having been soul winning, worshipping and continuing with him. Okay, it's nowhere near as clear as the 5,000 but considering it's following straight on from that miracle that the seven deacons in the book of Acts follows pretty much straight on to, I believe that this is a picture of the then growing church. Okay, this is a then growing church, they're now serving God, okay? They're not just the old joke, they're out soul winning, they're worshipping, they're doing things, they're continuing with him, okay? And, and what's the point? What's the point in that then? So yeah, it's a great picture. Yeah, you could go, wow, the word of God, look, you know, that's amazing. Yeah, I can see what you're saying, brother, in with the 5,000. Okay, yeah, no, I can see it kind of follows on. I can see why that might be. What's the point? What are we to learn from it besides the many lessons, like I said, that you can learn from the miracle of 5,000? Basically, that it didn't stop at the 12 apostles. There were then seven men ordained to provide for the people after them. And, and look, maybe, maybe they understood the message, which is why they said in Acts 6, look ye out among ye seven men of honest report. Look, they didn't go, oh, let's have a little debate. Look, they're just like, right, get seven men in. Okay, it's time. Look, we can't do it all now. Let's get the seven men in. Maybe they understood the message. They did say, I think, in the next chapter that, or Jesus Christ said, did you understand? They said, yes. But there's a good message there for leadership, isn't there? Because sometimes you do try to do it all yourselves. Okay, if that's what it is, and that's what we're picturing here, and we're picturing here that, that then the need for more, we need for those seven. Look, we... we you know, you need help, don't you? You need help as a leader. And it is, sometimes you're like, oh, look, I'll just do this, I need to do that, or I know what I'm doing here. I don't really want to have to ask someone, I don't really want to have to rely on people, etc. But we do need to, don't we? Because there's only so much one person can do. And whether or not that's in a, in a church, or it's like the first New Testament church there with like 12, the 12 apostles leading it, there comes a point, there comes a tipping point where it's like you can't do it all effect effectively, can you? You have to start getting help and getting people to do certain things. And, and we, look, that's what we need in the church. And, it's, and obviously, it's not just the men. Like we, we have women helping, doing stuff here. I mean, the, the cleaning team here do an amazing job. I mean, it's a big area to clean, right? And, and it's not just that. All the many jobs, there are many things that go on in the church that, that obviously I can't do myself. Obviously, Pastor Thompson couldn't do from the US. <laughs> Definitely not over here himself. But 
but for all of us, and we need to be able to do that, we need to be able to say, yeah, we need help, right? But men of honest report. He said, look you out among you seven men of honest report, okay? Well, people that are reliable, people that can do what they say they're going to do, yeah? People that are honest, people that are going to be honest about why they can and can't do things, etc. And there are many things, there are going to be many things as this church goes forward that, that look, I'm going to need help with to be able to have an effective church. And it's not, you know, because, you know, there'll be people that go, oh, no, you're, you're meant to be the lead. You should be doing it. Or, well, fine. But then the church is not going to be as effective. Yeah. And ultimately, what's, what's, what's the end, end goal? Is to get more people saved, to have a thriving church, to be doing more things, to be having more ministries. But we need men of honest report to come forward to be able to help with some of those things. But we saw here a difference too, okay? So this multitude to bring the lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and cast them down to his feet. They glorify the God of Israel, like I said, they're continuing with him three days. Okay, this is a picture of an active church. They're not just babes in Christ, are they? But they still need feeding. So these are now like, these are kind of your more mature Christian types, okay? These are like, they're going out, they're soul winning, they're doing the things of God, they're glorifying, they're worshiping, they're continuing with Jesus, but they still need feeding. They still, like, you guys still need feeding. And we all need feeding, yeah? Everyone here, every Christian in the world needs feeding. It doesn't matter how mature they are, how much of the Bible they've read, how many things are difficult. We all need feeding, don't we? And, and, and the thing is, we don't just need feeding the strong meat. Was it like, right, okay, yeah, no, these guys, these guys are proper. Can you go and slay a couple of cows down, you know, in the nearby field? Because we need, some, we need some strong meat for these guys. Look, we want some strong meat, yeah? We want some strong meat. And the idea with some of these, you know, with the Bible studies as well, that's why, look, Wednesday nights are important, you know? And, and it's not just, it, the funny thing is, and I know, like, maybe, you know, maybe titles aren't that attractive and stuff. You know, maybe I could kind of give it a title, you know? But I do try and cover a bit in a passage. So it's a bit hard to do that. Might be a bit misleading, so I don't. But the truth is, like, I, I, you know, a lot of our church that aren't here probably don't listen to our Wednesday night sermon either. That's the sad truth of it. If they're not here, they should be tuning in and listening, right? Okay, and, 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 but that's a backup. They should be here. Okay, people should be trying their utmost to be on a Wednesday night because you're going to get more of the strong meat than you are than maybe in like a, a topical sermon on Sunday morning or maybe a series on a Sunday evening where it might be more applicable to certain people than others, right? Okay, and, but, but yeah, we do need strong meat, but here they're being fed fish and bread. We still need the basics, don't we? All of us here still need the basics, still need to go over the basics. We still need to hear sometimes just the simple, the, the, sometimes even the spiritual milk. Yeah, look, I still like drinking milk sometimes. Milk's good, you know? And, and look, we still, we still need the spiritual milk and we still need to be able to, to, to listen to things and listen to things that we already know and go, yeah, uh, you know, I need to hear that again. I need to be cementing that because the false doctrine's alive and real out there and it's hammering you and hammering you and knocking on your door and knocking you doing hearing it and it's being talked about. You need to hear the, the, the basics as well, don't we? You need to hear the basics as well. But they need feeding. Everyone needs feeding. But also with the seven that were to be ordained, we're also reminded of the need for men to continue to step up to serve God, aren't we? It wasn't just done with the 12. Well, he's got the 12 apostles. They can lead it. That's done. Great. New Testament church done. Turn to 1 Peter 5. We still need people to want to step up to serve God. People, that's the only way it continues is for people to be ordained in the future. And it can be in a role as a deacon. It can be in a role as obviously an evangelist. It can be a role as a pastor. Not because they've always just wanted to be the boss, though. Not because they can't 
stand being led. I need to be the leader. Not because they want respect, not because they just crave respect. I've got to get in a position in life where I'm respected. I might not be getting my job. I'm going to get it from behind a pulpit. That's how I'm going to get it on YouTube. Not because they think it's a good living. Well, you know, you know, my career prospects are here, but maybe if I go into like church work, then I'll be all right, you know, in the long run, if I get a big enough church, I can go full time. No, why? Because God's people need feeding. That's what it's about. God's people need feeding. That's got to be one of the main goals and motivations. First Peter 5, Peter, who was told to by Jesus to feed my sheep, Peter was told exactly that, says in verse 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, okay, interchangeable for a pastor here, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God. That's what he's saying to the elders, okay? He's saying, the elders which are among you, he's saying, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, okay, not forcefully, not by force, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Look, people go into this sort of job and obviously in the false prophet stuff, the wealth, health, wealth, prosperity. But I've said it before, like the Church of England guy. I mean, that guy, you know, he probably this is quite an easy number. What do they even do? Okay, I said Don address a couple of times a week, but the rest of it is a nothing, isn't it? But, but sadly, people will be drawn into these sort of things as access to money for filthy lucre. Or maybe it's just because they're like, okay, well, it's a good job. It's a good job. It's easier than another job. It's not easy, it's a hard job. But a lot of people don't really realise that, right? Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. So there are people whose motivation is, I need to be the boss, I need to be the man. Yeah? That's not what it's about, is it? And when a chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. That's if you do it right. That's if you feed the flock of God which is among you, take it over sight thereof, and not for all those reasons that he says, but being an ensample to the flock, then you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Okay, and that's a big part of church, isn't it? Get, getting fed, that's what, that's what many people are here for, to get fed. Why? Is it just so you can, yeah, that was a good meal, I enjoyed that. No, it's to go on to serve God. It's to go on to serve God. We, we need that, don't we? We need that. We need that word of God. We need it being preached to us. We need to do all these things to be fed. And that can even be by the hymns, by the doctrine in the hymns, by, by exhorting one another, by all those different things that come from being in a church to then go on to serve God. But, and it's much better to do that on a full stomach though, isn't it? much better to do that on a full stomach and that has to be the motivation if you're going in if you want to be that in the future you want to be like right I want to I want to yeah I want to get involved I want to do some stuff I, I want to go on and and I understand it's got to go to next people we want more church we need more people willing to go and do things for God but it's got to be for the right reasons isn't it it's got to be to feed the flock of God for, go back to Matthew 15 we're going to finish up and they did all eat and were filled, verse 37, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And I think that's a picture then of those seven afterwards. And they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. That's a lot of people, right? A lot of people with seven loaves and a few fishes. And again, look, I know we kind of, we, we are skirting over the miracle of it all a little bit as well, just because there's so much in there, so many messages in there. It is an amazing miracle though, isn't it? What an amazing miracle. I mean, you imagine being there and just like, where's all this food coming from? You know, platters of food just coming out. And where did it even start from in the first place? It's an amazing miracle, isn't it? But there's, there's so much we can learn from it. 
and he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. Okay, we're going to, uh, we're going to finish up there and pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for just, oh wow, just, just there's so much depth, so many layers to the word of God that you could just keep peeling away and peeling away. I, I hope that, you know, I've, I've preached that correctly. I've ho- I hope I've preached that accurately tonight, Lord. And um, if I haven't helped people to, to just, you know, see, see that there, you know, I know that, you know, there, there are many layers to the Word of God and many truths in the Word of God. I hope I've hit some of those tonight, Lord. And, um, and, and I pray that, you know, we'll be able to apply this to our lives, Lord. Apply what we've learned today. Apply, you know, the, 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 the need to follow the Word of God, not the traditions of men, Lord. And, and to, to just know that it all comes from the Word of God. To just have our, you know, to just stand firm on the Word of God. Help us to, to also, you know, Lord, to... to understand that look we all need feeding we we need people to be able to feed we need need people in the future to be able to go out and do that for the right reasons lord and and help us to want to encourage those um to, to come from this church and 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 also those just around as well those in places that maybe it's harder to get here that we'll be able to encourage leaders to rise up maybe out of those groups around europe as well and lord we we, we need we need men of God. We need we need people just out there wanting to serve you, Lord, wanting to do the right things. And 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 Father, we pray that you just help us also to just you know go out and preach the gospel, go out and to be those proper servants. You know, and that's where it all kind of starts and finishes. It's all about going out and getting people safe, Lord. And uh, help us to do that. Um, you know, for on Saturday, help us to make it to that soul winning marathon. Help us to get many people saved. Help us to return. Then back on Sunday for another day in your house. Jesus' name, pray all of this. Amen.